you return to James chapter 2, this morning, verses 12 and 13. I'd like to read 12 and 13, and then back up to verse 1, and read back through verse 12 and 13. Here's 12. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Back to 2.1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respective persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in one also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the designer or gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor, do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy shall, that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Father, this morning, once again, we call upon thy blessed and holy name, to open the eyes of our understanding to the truth of the text, to open our hearts to the prompting of thy spirit in obedience to truth according to the royal law of love. Thank you for those that are here to hear. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Five weeks. Five weeks to cover James' instruction 
on partiality. And if it seems to you to be overkill, I just want you to know, it seems that way to me too. It just seems like this thing has just been, been going on and on as it relates to its intensity. Okay, we got it, we got it, we got it, we got it, we got it already. But James is insistent upon the fact that we uh, appropriate the truth here of what we might consider a rather minor sin, but that we appropriate the truth of it on the same level in which we would think about adultery or murder. James tells us in this section that a sin like partiality might not seem to be such a big deal on the scale of sins that includes things like adultery and murder, but that such a little sin clearly violates the royal law, the kingdom law with which the believer is called to operate with. Previously, we pointed out a summary principle based upon the opening appeal in verse 1. We said there is a way to live that is consistent with the glory and the shine of the Savior. We that name the name of Christ are expected to live that way. And now, based upon verse 12, we want to add a second but equally important facet to that summary principle. Here it is again. There is a way to live that is consistent with the gospel of Christ. We that name the name of Christ are to live that way as those to give account to God as recipients of his mercy. That is James 2, 12 and 13. One more time. There is a way to live that is consistent with the gospel of Christ. We that name the name of Christ are to live in that way as those appointed to give account to God as the recipients of his mercy. In verse 12, the truth of Christ is referenced as the law of liberty once again, as it was previously back in chapter 1 and verse 25. I'd like to follow the logic that will bring us right back to this summary principle as stated at verse 12, and we'll begin just briefly back at verse 9, where James illustrates how the law of God is broken when partiality among believers is shown. In verse 10 and 11, James further explains the truth to which we have often pointed that one sin committed constitutes the breaking of the whole law. Logically, we pause here to make the point often made that as a result of one sin whole law principle, no one 
can find salvation in the keeping of the law. If everybody's a violator, no one can be rewarded as a non-violator. And everyone has violated God, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is why James goes on then to speak of mercy. In verse 13, the declaration that judgment is without mercy from God to the one who has shown no mercy in the days of his earthly life, in and through those days, is a restatement of what we've recently studied from the Lord's own lips in the Sermon on the Mount, the Messiah's Manifesto. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In that statement, we understand that Jesus is not saying that we earn God's mercy by extending mercy to others. Rather, Jesus is teaching that those who are indeed the true citizens of his kingdom are at the core of their being the recipients of mercy, for they reflect that which God is, namely, merciful. And as a result of that, as they have been dealt with by God in mercy, they deal with others mercifully. This is why James says that we who believe in Jesus are going to be judged according to the law of liberty. Verse 12, Christians are not people that walk around bragging how perfectly they have kept God's law, how perfectly they have obeyed God. Christians are people that know that they are right with God strictly on the basis of his mercy and grace extended to them in Jesus Christ. We extol his perfection and performance, not our own. We relate to God above and man around us on the basis of the mercy of God. Let me say it again. You and I as believers relate to God above on the basis of his mercy. And what James is saying is that thereby we got to relate to other people on the basis of the mercy of God. Mercy received, mercy shown. Mercy received, mercy extended. That's a good way to think about this element in overview. And again, I remind you that that little phraseology that really covers the whole of the canon of Scripture, namely uh, the reality of the law of liberty, the law uniquely describes the emphasis of the Old Testament, the liberty, the freedom, uniquely describes uh, the truth of the New Testament in Christ. When you put law and liberty together, when you put the law and the Lord together, you have the whole picture of what God has given to us uh, in the Bible, the written word, and in Jesus, the living word.
you and I follow the law of liberty. We understand that the written law, that the law of God, Old Testament, is perfect and just and holy. And we understand that no man can meet that holy, just, and perfect standard because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we also understand that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's why the focus is upon the shine and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that know and appreciate the glory and the shine of Jesus Christ are to live in the light of his shine. That's the point of James chapter 2, 1 through 13. The additional points today being that the believer gives an account to God for the way he lives. Or as the scripture says at verse 12, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged and I'm so glad that there is no period there but let me just stop there for a moment so speak so do we could summarize so live so minister so live so minister as they that shall be judged by whom God believers are told 2 Corinthians 5 10 we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all give an account for what we've done in the body. Now, as to the basis of the judgment of Christ at the Bema, it is by, verse 12, the law of liberty. It is not just a judgment based upon what's right and wrong, the law, but the Bema Seat judgment is a judgment based upon what the law says in light of what the Lord did for us in dying for our sins, rising, ascending, with promise to return. James sets before us the concept of judgment to sober us and mercy to make us rejoice. James deals with the sin of partiality in such a way to bring before the believer this double-edged emphasis at its end, namely that we will stand before God in judgment and give an account but that the nature of that judgment is according to the law of liberty and that our anticipation of judgment at the Bema Seat of Christ is based upon his mercy that is directed to us in our salvation. James sets the alternatives before us, mercy or no mercy, either judgment on the basis of your performance or judgment on the basis of mercy smiling in the very face of judgment based upon the performance of Christ. When you stand before God, 
you'll either be judged on the basis of what you have done or you will be judged on the basis of what Christ did do. That's your choice. Do you want to stand before God and be judged based upon how well you perform? Or do you want to stand before God and be judged on the basis of how Christ performed? That's your choice. That's your choice. And obviously, we would commend you to wisely choose Christ and to know that you will too be judged of God, but according to the perfect law of liberty. So speak, so do, as those who will be judged by that law of liberty, verse 12, and that, of course, brings us right back to the summary principle. You and I understand that in light of the glory and the shine of Christ, that we who name the name of Christ are to live in a particular way. And that particular way of living is commended by the fact that we will answer to God for it. Where you go, where you come, what you do, you'll give God an answer for what you are doing and for what you're saying. You will give an account to God. For it. Years ago, when I was first starting out in ministry on the other side of the state, I uh, I did not have this uh, militaristic haircut of mine. I uh, I wore uh, uh, locks that had to be combed perpetually, and uh, in those days, I went to the barber shop in Cass City to get my haircut. And it was always an interesting experience to go uh, to the barber shop in Cass City because uh, I would uh, walk up to the uh, barber shop that was there on, on Main Street and uh, there would be men all sitting in there and man, they'd be smiling and they'd be joking and they'd be, and they'd be having a great old time. I'd walk through the door, the barber would say, hello, Pastor Teal, and there was dead silence. And uh, you certainly didn't want them to necessarily carry on as they had been carrying on because they were carrying on. But every once in a while, one of the men would start to say something and he'd slip. And then he would say, oh, Pastor, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Once in a while, my barber would slip. And he'd say, oh, Pastor, I'm sorry. He'd pat my shoulder. Oh, Pastor, I'm sorry, I should never. You see, uh, just my presence made them uh, want to conform to a standard they didn't even understand. Same thing sometimes happens to me at church. Uh, people uh, come into church and, and, uh, and they weren't there on, on, uh, on Sunday or they weren't there uh, in the midweek hour. And the minute they see me, they start to give an excuse. Oh, pastor, good to see you today. I wanted to let you know, last Sunday, I, you know, the horse was having a toe ache. The cow was having a tongue ache. The sheep had a bad case of gas. I mean, the things I've heard over years. I mean, honestly, it's just, but just my presence in a place, even a church, can cause certain people to stammer over their tongues. Well, just think about what it will be like for you to stand before not this sinful pastor but to stand before 
thrice holy God. James says, you need to speak now. You need to do now as those that will be judged. And if that's where it ended, I would fear the beamer. I would fear that appointment of mine before God, even as a believer in Jesus Christ. But James has no period. He goes right on in verse 12 to say, So speak ye, so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. As I stand before God and give an account for the things done in this body, I'll stand there before my Savior, Jesus Christ, who did it all, who paid it all, and based upon his performance, I shall stand. What a glorious prospect in the Lord. That said, our communications speak, says James, verse 12, our activities do, says James, verse 12, are to be a mirror of the very way that God has treated us because of the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul said it to the Colossians this way, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. There is a way to live on earth now as those that will be judged by the perfect law of liberty. And that's the way that we not just ought live. That is the way, by the grace of God, we must live. We must live that particular way. That's what James is talking about. My communication, my conduct as touching others is to reflect the very glory, the very shine of the Lord Jesus. In this, you and I ought to be greatly motivated to live a holy life, not because we have to, but because we can live a holy life by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Uh, God is holy, and you and I, in earthly living experience, are to reflect or mirror that holiness. You and I ought to be greatly motivated to live as Christ lived. And, of course, what that means is no sins allowed. There are no sins allowed. Anything recognized in sin in my life or in yours is to be quickly, as a believer, confessed. To bring it, as it were, back under uh, the blessedness of the performance 
and the blessedness of sacrifice in Jesus Christ our Lord. We are to be like the adulterous woman who, after meeting the Lord Jesus, was told to go and sin no more. My posture, your posture, today, tomorrow, the next day, as a believer, is to go and sin no more. Surely, the Old Testament law forbids small sins, like partiality, and certainly the New Testament law of liberty forbids small sins, like partiality. But James lands with this glorious thought. It is the glory of Jesus seen in you and me that should motivate us to live a life without sin. Sin no more. Will we sin? Yes. What should we do when we sin? Confess it as believers. But the desire, the heart cry, the goal of earthly life for me, for you, until Jesus comes or we lay in the grave and have left our body and are present with the Lord as believers, until those days come or till they come, you and I ought to be mirroring, we ought to be reflecting uh, the glory of Jesus in the context of life. Christ ought to be seen on the screen of my life. Christ ought to be seen on the screen of your life. It's not enough that you should believe right and that you should talk right, but that you should live right. And James has that all combined together under this beautiful expression in verse 12 saying, So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. And then he goes on to say, For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. What's that talking about? It's talking about the fact that, that God is not going to go easy upon you or me, even as believers, if in fact we have not appropriated uh, the life of Christ and the death of Christ to our actual living patterns. That in fact, if we stand before the judgment and our works have been done externally, as men would count right, but not internally, as men would count right, that we should by no means expect the Lord to reward us for those. There will be loss. And yet, to the one that indeed has received mercy and operates in the realm of God's mercy, then that person has a marvelous new example of mercy rejoicing against judgment or mercy triumphing over judgment as you have it here at the end of verse 13. Do we honestly expect to become this side of heaven sinless? No. But should we expect that the overriding experience in this life will reflect the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes. 
And so therefore, there is always a movement in my soul and a movement on your soul, either towards the Lord or away from the Lord, either towards right or away from right, over towards reflecting his glory or away from reflecting his glory. Every day, there is that movement. Every week, there is that movement. Every age and stage of life, there is that movement. Some of you strung together a long period of reflecting the glory of Christ, and yet now you find yourself uh, pulling back from that in regards to your life choices, pulling back from that in regards to your life commitments. And I just would warn you that that's the wrong direction for you to be going ever forward towards your Lord, ever forward towards your Lord, ever forward towards your Lord. Even though you still do sin, as do I, no allowance for sin. No allowance for sin. Make no allowance for the flesh. Make no allowance for sin. Why? Simple. For the sake of the glory of Christ. Simple. For the sake of the gospel of Christ. This kind of emphasis on behavioral Christianity is going to continue throughout the book of James. But you will be glad to know that we are done with the particular sin of partiality as the prime example at this particular moment in time. The gospel insistence upon behavior and lifestyle after the fashion of the Lord Jesus is one of the most well-represented concepts in all of the New Testament epistles. It would be fair to say that behavioral Christianity is the topical choice of all the New Testament epistles. One of the words in the King's English that conveys that practical truth of behavioral Christianity is the word conversation. Today the word refers to speaking back and forth. Did you have a conversation? means did you talk to them? Did they talk to you? But in 1611, the word conversation carried the idea of one's manner of life or routine of behavior. The word conversation is found 20 times in the King's English, and not one of those times does it have anything to do with a verbal back and forth. In every instant, all 20 instances of the word uh, 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 conversation in the entire Bible, in every case, 20 times, that has to do with, with a believer's behavior. Uh, the first time you find the word is in Psalm 37, 14. Uh, that verse says this, The wicked have drawn out their sword. They have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, to slay such as be of upright conversation. People that live right are opposed as well as loved and appreciated. Psalm 37, 14. Uh, in uh, that uh, uh, first use of the word, Psalm 37, you're told of the opposition 
that indeed does come against those that live faithfully. In one other Old Testament reference, the word conversation is used uh, in, the, in the Psalms. Uh, but then, after that, all the rest of the, the references, or 18 times in your copy of the Bible, uh, the word uh, conversation is found in the New Testament. And uh, uh, in the New Testament, uh, Paul uses the word seven times or nine times depending on who you wrote, think wrote Hebrews. And then Peter uses it eight times in his two letters. So the vast majority of the use of the English word, old English word, conversation, is used by Peter and by Paul. And so I, I want to just quickly give you two of those references uh, that you can then use it as complement to what we see here in James chapter 2. Uh, first of all, uh, let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 12. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 12. Again, we're looking at this behavioral expectation of your embrace of Christ. It's not just a heart conviction. It's not just a spoken word of truth. It is indeed a life to be lived, a life to be lived, a life to be lived. We're talking about the life to be lived. 2 Corinthians 1.12, Paul says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you were. What did Paul say? Paul said, I feel good about my life. I feel good about my ministry. And the reason that I feel good about my life and I feel good about my ministry is because I have not lived my life and I have not engaged in ministry uh, without simplicity and godly sincerity. Uh, I have not chased the fleshly wisdom of the world. Uh, I have indeed uh, chased, as it were, uh, the grace of God. And as to my uh, behavioral uh, pattern of Christ lived uh, for life and ministry in this old world, uh, it is indeed by the grace of God, and that is even more true as it relates to the way that I've lived before you as my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. What am I saying? I'm saying Paul said that he took joy and confidence in the way he was living before the eyes of men by the grace of God. Are you happy with the way you're living before the eyes of men relative to the grace of God that you've received? If not, nobody can change that but you. You must submit to the biblical principle and beg God's help for a behavioral consistency of your own personal embrace of Christ. There are not only many Christians that do not evidence Christ, 
but there are many professing Christians that secretly, I hope, they never tell anybody lest people get the wrong idea about Christ. So many people live while professing Christ in such a way that I would say to them pragmatically, please keep your mouth shut. Don't tell anybody that you're a Christian. Don't tell anybody you come here to church because the way that you live is such contradiction to the way that Christ did live and the way that we ought to live that uh, anything you would say with your mouth is negated by your life. That's Paul. Let me show you Peter. It's even more simple. Uh, Peter, we'll turn to 1 Peter 1 and verse 15. It's a quickie. It's short. But as he which hath called you is holy, the one of your salvation, the one that has called you unto salvation, that one God is holy. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of, there's our word, conversation, manner of life. Be holy in your behavioral embrace of Jesus Christ. I read this past week in my devotional reading. God's people are always most effective in this alien culture when both by their life and lifestyle they are clearly counter-cultural. What is he saying? Same thing that James says. Same thing that Paul said. Same thing that Peter said. Call it congruity of lip and life. Call it the blend of orthodox belief with orthodox behavior. Call it creed that is matched to conduct or doctrine that is matched to deeds. There is a way to live that is consistent with the gospel of Christ. We that name the name of Christ are to walk in that way as those appointed to give account to God according to God's mercy and grace received. Father, thank you this morning for the clarity of the word of God as to what we should believe and how we should behave. May we all be responders to thee in this today. We pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.